We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Okay, so I think one of the biggest questions on everyone's mind is what can you tell us about Valley Boys merch and where can we get it or when? It's ready. <laughs> um, website link is going to be coming soon to your social medias this week so that you guys will be able to purchase. But also, we're working on some big things that you know I want to do a couple pop-ups in the city for people, you know. So, stay tuned. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike B. Hill, and with me, of course, just like every week, is Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Mike, uh, we have a fuck ton of questions to answer, so <laughs> let's get right into it. These are my favorite episodes. Actually, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't know if these are my favorite episodes because we've had <laughs> some great guests uh, as of late, but these are really, really fun episodes because of the amount of interaction that we get. Uh, on various platforms. All right, let's get into it. Mailbag. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? All right, we got, first of all, thank you to everyone who asked us questions from uh, Reddit or Twitter or called in to our phone number and left us a message. Uh, We got a lot of great questions. Hopefully, we're going to get to as many of them as possible. We're not going to make you guys listen to a two and a half hour podcast, but (laughs) we're going to get to as many of them as we can right now. And to start, I actually grouped a bunch of questions together because they were so similar and I wanted to get, obviously, this is a question that a lot of Suns fans are thinking about. Funny enough, it's t- it's team building related, which is funny because the offseason is essentially over, but it's looking forward. And the people that l- left this question for us were from Reddit, uh, Friend Eater, United Quail, Good 17 <laughs> Funky Flapsack, uh, <laughs> Pokemon Pat, and from Twitter, Blake Wilhelm and White the Great, which is at Cowboys for Life 19 
Um, the hardest part about these episodes, by the way, is reading all these usernames. <laughs> I'm going to mess them all up. Um, but the question was essentially, I'll start with friend eaters. Who are some trade targets for a mid-season acquisition, primarily featuring Tyler Johnson? So using that uh, expiring contract to get new players for the Phoenix Suns. There were some other ones that were related to free agency, either next year or in the future. So essentially this question is, who are some players that the Suns can target either during next season or the next two off-seasons where the Suns are set to have pretty massive cap space going forward, um, basically easily create max cap space in either of the next two off-seasons. There's a whole bunch of things to talk about here. Sam, if you want to start, you can go ahead and start. Who do you have either for this season or even going forward looking at free agency in the future? Well, there's just so much to cover. Do you want trades or free agency first? And how good of a player are we targeting? Are we are we targeting like <laughs> a realistic, pretty good player? Or are we talking about who are the superstars that the Suns can go after? Because there's a difference. There's some obvious names, right? Right up front, right? Like Blake Griffin and Kevin Love, right? I was going to, yeah. Well, Kevin Love sucks, but I was going <laughs> to mention Blake Griffin for sure. I, Blake Griffin, I think, is one of the more, is going to be one of the more talked about pieces, uh, assuming Detroit doesn't put together a good team this coming season. There's no reason to fully believe that he'll be on the trading block, but if he is, I think the Suns will be interested. What do you think about Blake Griffin? Yeah, no, I think Blake Griffin is an obvious place to start. Here's the thing about Blake Griffin, guys, is you have to match salaries, obviously. And so if you talk about Tyler Johnson at $19 million expiring being your main piece, that's not going to cut it in terms of uh, matching salaries. Blake Griffin is a top 10 uh, highest paid player in the NBA. I think he makes 34, maybe even $36 million next season. Um, and he's owed over $100 million over the next three years. Uh, so in order to trade for him, you're talking about at the minimum, either a package of Tyler Johnson and Ricky Rubio, who the Suns just signed, and maybe it's not such a great look to try to trade Ricky Rubio three months into his contract, or Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre, who the Suns also just signed. Uh, so again, maybe not a great look. So that's sort of the baseline. And that's not even talking about what Blake Griffin is worth because he's a very good player. Uh, you have to throw in picks. You have to throw in young players. Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, uh, you know, Ty Jerome, all sorts. Basically, you'd have to throw the bag uh, at Detroit. Uh, so it would be tough. Future picks. Yeah, and future picks, uh, of course. So it would be tough. Uh, and you would be locked into paying basically all of your salary cap to Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, and Blake Griffin. Uh, on the other hand, is that worth it? In today's NBA, where this is maybe the first time next season where we're going into a situation where there isn't one ultimate super team and you only have all of these duos uh, around the league, that that's a pretty good core you know, to get behind. I mean, Blake Griffin is obviously a, a fantastic player, and so... Uh, again, I, I just think it makes sense that we're going to hear his name pop up in a lot of trade rumors. Uh, and he's the guy where it makes the most sense for Detroit to try to trade him uh, and Andre Drummond as well going forward because they really don't have a young core right now. And you just have to question how far they can actually get in the East with their current team. Right. I, I agree. And Blake Griffin, I think, is is probably the best player that you can make. I mean, you can make a case for Bradley Beal. I even put like Carl Anthony Towns if Minnesota just absolutely shits the bed. And for some reason he wants out. Uh, it's All of this is unlikely. Um, other than Kevin Love, I think Kevin Love is the most likely player to be on the trading block. There's just no reason for the Cleveland Cavaliers to continue paying Kevin Love to be on such a shitty team. <laughs> so I think that's the most likely player to be traded. But he's also the least... 
my least favorite out of the players that I just listed, which is essentially Blake Griffin, Kevin Love, Bradley Beal, and Carl Anthony Towns. I think um, Kevin Love most likely, and the one I like the least. So, and and all of these players have basically the same problem that you described, which is a, a large salary that makes it difficult to trade. Bradley Beal is one of the guys that's he's on his first contract essentially after his rookie deal. So it's not this massive, massive contract, but he's also going to be a free agent in that 2021 year, which is what we're going to talk about soon, I assume. <laughs> uh, and that's that's a player you can target um, with with that money. It's not, you know, it's, it's do you want to give up Mikhail Bridges and, you know, whatever you need to give up future draft picks for Bradley Beal when he's going to be a free agent in two years? I would say yes. I think he's totally worth it. But I also think you're going to be competing with a lot of good teams that could give up pretty pretty good players I, I think what's the hardest part about the trade question which a lot of these focused on what can we do next season to improve is that the NBA is so unpredictable with who becomes available and it's just really difficult to know who's going to be on the trading block next season but I know there's going to be some players and I think the Suns are one of those teams that people are going to look at and say are they going to do something do you have any other players for next season that could be trade options for the Suns yes yeah, so for next season This doesn't just apply to the Suns, it applies to the entire NBA. Toronto is the team to watch. Because everyone knows that Toronto is not really a contender anymore, and they have three expiring contracts, Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, and Serge Ibaka. If they're smart, they blow it up. Honestly, if they're smart, I think they would blow it up right now. Um, But I think it's also very likely that Toronto potentially blows it up at the trade deadline and tries to build around what they currently have outside of those guys, which is Siakam uh, and OG and Anobi and uh, let's see who else is on Fred Van Vliet. That's basically their young core right now. Uh, but so for the Suns, a guy who doesn't make a ton of money so you could match salaries just with Tyler Johnson's contract and then maybe throw in a young player or a pick. If the Suns are kind of somehow miraculously in a position at the deadline to make a playoff push, why not go for Serge Ibaka? You know, that's potentially he's a free agent next season. It would be an expiring contract. Well, yeah, sorry. He's a free agent next summer. It would be an expiring contract. You'd have no guarantee that it would be interested in re-signing. But as a move, potentially trying to get an upgrade at power forward, get a guy who would play some great defense next to DeAndre Ayton, help you make a playoff push uh, and, and give you some veteran experience in general. I think that could be an interesting, realistic move. I just wanted to throw out a realistic move for people that wanted to hear about you know, realistic moves. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting one. And even Kyle Lowry, in, to some extent, is kind of interesting. It's just with the Rubio signing, you just can't imagine that that would be happening. Um, and it's hard to predict. Even like Gordon Hayward could potentially be on the trade market at some point if it doesn't work out in, in, in Boston, <laughs> although I doubt that. It's just one of those names that people seem to talk about a lot uh, with potentially being traded. So I just doubt that. Um, but looking at looking forward at the free agency classes going forward, I think is a more interesting part of this conversation, and uh, and that means probably sit tight, Suns fans, because it's likely that this team is going to stay the same throughout the season, maybe with some minor moves on the fringes, unless Blake Griffin is really available and there's a trade that makes sense. Twenty twenty, as we've talked about is an awful free agency class. It's not anything to really be excited about. Names like Kyle Lowry, Paul Millsap, Mark Gasol, Serge Ibaka, those are not really exciting names. And you don't want to give guys like that a lot of money. It's weird to look at that 2020 free agency class. These guys are all old. (laughs) Like It's a lot of old players that are available in 2020. Nothing really exciting. There's some restricted free agents available. Bogdan Bogdanovich, if you want to get him back. I like Bogdan. You know, that's not a star. (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's a guy no. that could be a good player coming off the bench for the Suns. Um, Brandon Ingram, I don't know why the Suns would want him with who we have at, at the wing, but you know, it's another guy. Another interesting name, Karis LeVert. I think is an oh. interesting restricted free agent huh. for 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. He's restricted, but the Nets have a massive, you know, they, they, they're capped out essentially. And, and the Nets could potentially re- retain Levert somehow if they made the right moves to, to keep him. But I think there's a possibility that a team could come in and, and take him away depending on what their cap sheet looks like. I haven't done the research to really know what the Nets look like, but Karis Levert's a really good player. That's a potential all-star later in his career. Coming off of a serious injury, yes, but someone who could be very good for this team and, and a good player going forward, that, that could potentially be available. You'd have to throw the max at him, that's that's for sure. Um, but I like Karis LeVert a lot, and that's the only real ones that I found interesting in 2020. Sam, did you find any other players in 2020 that you thought were interesting for the Suns? Well, I'll be honest, I didn't even focus on 2020. I jumped straight to 2021 <clears throat> because that's, that's when... That's interesting one. That's the interesting year, not only because the names are more interesting, but because the flexibility that the Suns have created for themselves is more interesting. Uh, obviously, they create a little bit of flexibility for themselves this upcoming summer. Saurich comes off the books, although, as we'll talk about later, because someone asked about it, you may want to re-sign him. Uh, but Baines will come off the books. Uh, Kaminsky as a team option. But then two years from now, it's Ubre, and, and that's what really begins to open up some of the money. You go into 2021, and really the guys you were looking at are these basically established stars cj mccollum demar Derozan, uh victor oladipo bradley beal as you were talking about and these are just the lower tier this is the more realistic options before we even ascend to the highest tier which is guys like Giannis. i mean obviously guys i want Giannis and phoenix but you know i i wouldn't say no to a guy like cj mccollum or uh bradley beal or victor oladipo next to devin booker in a backcourt that would still be amazing yeah i found myself when looking up these 2021 targets, just picturing Victor Oladipo next to Devin Booker and just how exciting that would be and how insane of a backcourt that would be and how it's actually possible for a team of Victor Oladipo, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges to be on a team together at that time and going forward. That's like an actual possibility if the Suns were to be good. Now, Indiana's good and they've had uh, you know a good team for the last few years and uh, assuming he comes back healthy, they could be a threat in the East. At least they'll be a playoff team for sure, and we'll see what they do in the playoffs. So there's no reason to assume that Oladipo would want to come to the Suns, but this is why we talk about it, and we're going to talk about it a lot, why it's so important to impress over the next two seasons and to show that the culture is moving in the right direction. And I hate to say it this early in the podcast, but it's also important to have that practice facility done. It's going to be done (laughs) early 2021. And when you have free agency meetings... Those types of things matter. You take them to that practice facility. You show them the investment that you've made in the team, and you show them how important it is to win in the future. And that tour goes a long ways. We talked about it a lot with Trevor Reason, how that was the reason he left. He, he didn't do that tour originally. He didn't know how, how big of a disaster the training facilities were here in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, Oladipo is the guy that I, I found myself picturing, you know, because it's just not realistic to think of Giannis. Of course it's fun to think about Giannis with these guys, but... I'm not even sure that makes a lot of sense next to DeAndre Ayton anyway. Not that you would give up a chance at Giannis for DeAndre Ayton anyway, but I just find that unlikely. 
So CJ McCollum is another guy that I found uh, really interesting. CJ McCollum and Oladipo are similar, except Oladipo is a much better defender, so a better fit next to Devin Booker. These are obviously max guys. Gordon Hayward is another guy that's going to be available in 2021. Depending on how good he looks coming off of that injury, you know, sometimes it takes a full year to get back from that serious of an injury. Uh, Paul George took some time. He could be really good too, and and, and that's another possibility for the Suns. Um, Those are the main guys I had. Did you have anyone else that I didn't mention there? No, I think that's about... Oh, well, um, I guess restricted free agents quickly. Uh, because the other thing is Ricky Rubio at that point, you know, maybe you're looking for a long-term replacement and Lonzo Ball and Darren Fox will both be restricted free agents. Now, maybe they're obvious candidates to be matched, but it's still something to look at. Uh, other intriguing prospects from that draft class, you know, this is the Josh Jackson draft class. Jonathan Isaac, maybe in two years, he, he came in, was like a raw guy. And I think it was kind of understated how solid of a sophomore season he had. And because this is two full years from now, I think there's a decent chance that he's a very good uh, defense first power forward by the end of his fourth season. And again, maybe that just means that he's, you know, an obvious match candidate for the Magic. Uh, But maybe there's something there on the restricted side for the Suns that isn't as obvious as these guys who have made, you know, several all-star teams each. Yeah, I think those are fair. I think the Lonzo Ball one is interesting. I think feel like De'Aaron Fox... I know it's early, but it's pretty obvious that that's the that's the type of guy that you want for the future of your team. So that's like a guaranteed pickup. Lonzo Ball has to fit with Zion. He just has to. And if he doesn't, that's a guy that could be let go at some point. N- knowing how much David Griffin has tinkered so far, it wouldn't surprise me if th- there's a few guys on that Pelicans team that are gone by the end of the season, to be honest. And maybe that's actually something to talk about. If some of those guys don't fit on that Pelicans team, like Lonzo Ball, that could be someone that's available for trade in the middle of the year. I'm not sure why the Suns would do that, like I said, after Ricky Rubio, but it's just another example of someone that could be available if it doesn't work right away. Um, How about we listen to a call? Sure. Hey, guys. You slash Thick Boy 7 here. Thick Boy. Uh, Coming in with a hot question. If you could be the GM of the Phoenix Suns for one day, what moves would you make immediately? And why? Thanks. Bye-bye. Thick boy! Shout out to Thick Boy. Uh, I think he's even on here later with a similar question. And there was another question that we got from Twitter that I wanted to bring up. It was from Mike Notham. He said, sliding doors offseason, what would be your semi-realistic alternate version of this summer in the draft and free agency, given the moves that we saw play out around the rest of the league? I thought that these were similar questions so we can answer them together. Basically, if you were the Suns GM... And I like the way that Thick Boy worded it. If you were the GM for a day, <laughs> what what would you do? I think <laughs> with oh, Thick Boy's not question, supposed to crack up at that. <laughs> with Thick Boy's question, if you're the GM today, it's not a great day to do it. So what <laughs> well, I thought about with yeah, what I thought about with him is what would I do and um, what day would I choose? And it had to be the draft day, the day of the draft, and I would have drafted Brandon Clark. And I think that I was one of the many people that tweeted out immediately after the Saric trade and said, oh, cool, we get Saric and Brandon Clark in the same draft. This is going to be amazing. And then, of course, it didn't happen, and that tweet is forever on the Internet of me celebrating something that did not happen. So to me, that would be the day I would choose, and I would have picked Brandon Clark. I have a feeling your answer is going to be similar, Sam, right? Yeah, sorry to be boring, but that's my answer, too. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good offseason. Again, from Thick Boy's perspective, if we're the GM today, we already have a full <laughs> roster, so there's not 
not too much you can do today. Um, I don't know. Wave Eliakobo is like what you could do <laughs> today. Uh, announce yeah. Amari Stoudemire and Sean Marion in the Ring of Honor. Maybe you could do that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, but yeah, go, going back in time a little bit. Uh, I guess the only thing I would change is taking Clark at eleven. Or had I known that Culver was going to drop to six, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, do I really make that trade to get Saric and move down to eleven in the first place? Uh, I think you'd have to think really hard about that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think from Mike's perspective, the other guy who wrote in on Twitter, it's really difficult to parse out the offseason uh, that much to really to really take a look at each individual deal. I think if we took that question really seriously, we could probably get an entire podcast out of it uh, because that's more of like an hour, hour and a half conversation where we really say, what would we have done differently? What would we have changed? There's a lot of things probably that we would have done differently and we would have changed. We- I think if you want some <laughs> ideas of who we liked in free agency, you can listen to our free agency episode. We broke down some of our favorite targets for free agency. I definitely would have made more of a push for D'Angelo Russell personally. Uh, I understand the problems with that, but I think like I've talked about before, having a star matters a lot in this league and um, that would have been worth it to me. I think we could talk for two hours about what we would have done in ideal scenarios, and I think no one would listen to it, uh, or at least our listeners <laughs> would get frustrated with us, because what's the point? Uh, we have the roster that we have now. It's set in stone, and so we might as well you know, yeah. analyze the guys we do have. It is an interesting thought experiment, though, so thank you for it, the question. It, yeah, it, and I think an important part of the conversation is what happened is a realistic possibility like what happened is what is a possible thing to happen if we if we talk about what we would have done differently uh, there's so many scenarios that we could have brought up that probably were not realistic at all so it's almost no point to even talk about um, a lot of them so I think I I was happy with most of the things that happened in this offseason and I'm sure some of these questions are going to address that and we'll get into a little bit more Um, so I would say I wouldn't change much other than the draft and I think that pick of Cam Johnson, I love the Ty Jerome uh, pick personally, but the Cam Johnson pick is the biggest unknown that we have, and I think it's the most obvious thing to criticize, and I think we'll get into that more a little bit later. Let's read another qu- question from Ford Raxel on Reddit. He said, Would you rather be three feet tall and never have to hear another person compare Donovan Mitchell and Zach Levine to Devin Booker ever again, or be 6'3", and be forced to listen to it at least once a day. This answer is obvious for me. I'll go first. I'd be 6'3", 100%. I already listen to this argument every day. So if I had to choose between being three feet tall and 6'3", I'd choose being 6'3". I think I could handle this argument going forward. My faith in Devin Booker, I think, will carry me through it. And I'm 5'9", so 6'3 is a pretty significant difference. (laughs) Sam, what do you think? I would be a menace on the basketball court if I were 6'3". Are you kidding me? I am also 5'9". Uh, but but also, don't, you know, don't you hear that argument every day? I mean, you're kind of you're crazy, dude. I feel like you go looking for it on Twitter. Like you're looking up <laughs> Zach Levine's name on Twitter just to start some shit. Uh, I, 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 I would be willing to hear this every day if it meant I could be 6'3". Also, guys, being three yeah. feet tall fucking sucks (laughs) that's really short that's That's, really short it's not like five two yeah you (laughs) didn't you didn't go with five two you went three feet tall (laughs) um let's do another question from twitter mavs draft asked us 
Last year, Mavs draft, one of our friends, been been on the podcast a few times. He said, last year we saw Oubre playing some four, and even at least one time during uh, the season playing five against the Spurs. And he had two-part question. One, do you expect that to continue under Monty? And two, what are some unconventional lineups and positional alignments you could see uh, coming similar to that? Um, what do you think, Sam? Well, first of all, um, I don't know whether Monty is going to do it. But what I will say about this, because we let's be honest, we don't really know anything about Monty still to this point. Like we've there have been a couple basically a press conference and an interview with Woj and that was it. Uh, But what I will say is I've kind of changed my mind on playing Oubre and Bridges together in the first place. I tweeted this out a couple of weeks ago. I was really under the impression that. And it's just because it intuitively makes sense. Ubre's undersized to play the four. You wouldn't want to play him at the same time as Mikhail Bridges, even though in theory both of them are long. They're pesks uh, on the perimeter. Just because, you know, you would get out-rebounded too much if Ubre was playing the four. When I actually looked at the stats, uh, what I found last season is when the Suns had, for a total of 1,200 possessions, when they had Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Ubre on the floor at the same time, uh, they had a net rating of plus one they had a 112.1 offensive rating they had a 111.1 defensive rating that may not seem that impressive except for the suns it's really fucking impressive because a 19 win team doesn't have many lineups uh in you know with a positive net rating like a 19 win team just isn't outscoring other lineups all that often uh when both of those guys were off the floor the suns had a minus 12.8 Net rating, when only Mikhail Bridges was on the floor, they were minus 5.7. And when only Kelly Oubre was on the floor, they were minus 5.8. So, you know, it's not a huge sample size, but putting those two guys together, the Suns actually were outscoring teams. That kind of lends itself to the idea that maybe you can get away with playing Oubre more at the four going forward. Maybe that's something that Monty should explore. On the other hand, uh, I ha- I just have a feeling that Monty is kind of a guy who respects traditional basketball positions like I think he's really going to appreciate the fact that the Suns have two natural power forwards and Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky uh, and also now even Sheck Diallo uh, and I think he's probably going to prefer playing those guys at the four over Kelly right I, I agree basically with everything you said I, I wanted you to answer that one first because I remember that tweet that you had I'm glad that you had those stats ready I think it's actually possible and we'll get into this even with another question probably that uh, both of them start. I don't think it's completely off the table. I think Monty's such an unknown, and I'm glad you brought that up. We don't know what Monty is going to be like this season. All of his interviews, interestingly, have been describing how he wants to play, and they are basically the opposite of how he played in New Orleans. And it's been a long time since he was the coach in New Orleans. It's you know, in NBA terms, five years is a long time. He had a chance to coach in Oklahoma City. He had a chance to coach in Philadelphia, and he's seen things from their perspective, two teams that do have a lot of analytics, and um, Oklahoma City plays very fast, Philadelphia shoots a lot of threes, and those are things that he's talked about wanting to do with the Suns, so I think it's it's it's, it's unknown whether or not uh, he's going to embrace unconventionality, and I hope he does, because I think the Suns have some history in that, and I think it's kind of fun to embrace that history and be different, but We don't know what he's going to do, but one thing he has done is he's been very careful to not say who's starting outside of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Ricky Rubio. He's basically said those other two positions are up for grabs. There was even a point in the Kelly Oubre press conference where they asked Kelly if he expected to start, 
And he said, you know, I'm, not, I'm just going to compete for that spot. And Monty was sure to chime in and say, good answer. Basically saying, I want these guys to compete for it. And I, I don't think it's completely out of the question if we're going to take that at face value that those guys both start. And, uh, you know, who knows? It's, it's really difficult to say. And I think it's going to be really interesting the more and more we see going forward what we learn about Monty and how much he's really changed because the way he talks about it, he seems to have changed. I did write down two sort of gimmicky lineups that I wanted to bring up. There was the all-shooting, no-defense lineup of Ty Jerome, Devin Booker, Cameron Johnson, Dario Saric, and Frank Kaminsky. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and then there was the... Yeah, I want to see it. And there's the all-defense lineup of Javon Carter, Mikhail Bridges, Kelly Oubre, Czech Diallo, and Aaron Baines. So those are some options of gimmicky lineups that are sort of unconventional. Other than that, I think you could see Mikhail Bridges, depending on how much weight he's really put on, playing up and down, basically two to four uh, going forward. And if he puts on a lot of weight in the future, I could even say, see him playing some spot minutes on the five if the Suns ever make the playoffs when it really does get that small. Um, but who knows? It's We're going to learn a lot about Monty Williams in the, in the upcoming months. Any other thoughts on that one? No, I don't have any better gimmicky lineups than the ones you just threw out. <laughs> uh, it's kind of hard. Um, you know, Shek Diallo is not a bad defender, but I, you know, I don't know that he's at the level of the defender that is needed in that lineup to, to be the all defense lineup. But um, let's do another Reddit question from Almighty Ranger. It's two part question. Is this team better suited to handle a Devin Booker injury if that were to happen? And in the case of an injury, what's your ideal lineup to compensate for Devin's absence? What do you think, Sam? Better suited. Yes. Well suited. No. Uh, And this, I agree. It's really just all about a couple of guys. Um, It's about DeAndre Ayton and whether he can take the next step in becoming a franchise player uh, who can really initiate plays. You'd see a lot of plays running through DeAndre Ayton, uh, a lot of elbow touches, uh, just whether he can be that guy. You know, he proved that he was a very efficient offensive player last season. We never really got a sense that you can run an offense through him. And if Devin Booker was going to run, sorry, if Devin Booker, Booker was going to miss extended periods of time. We would need to see that from Aiton. Beyond that, it's about Kelly Oubre and proving that the short stretch of really good play that he had last season, uh, he would have to prove that that's sustainable. He would have to run a lot more pick and roll. Uh, interestingly, which is something that, you know, Tim, who we had on the podcast last week, said he specifically would try to keep Oubre out of those situations. But that would be, you know, he would just get more touches if Booker was out of the lineup for a long period of time. So I think it's very clear this team has uh, it's pretty clear who the top six players are on this team. And so if Booker is going to be out, you just shift whichever one out of Bridges or Ubre is not in the starting lineup into the starting lineup. And then you've got Rubio, Bridges, Ubre, Saric, Aiton as your starting five. Uh, definitely better suited than what the Suns had last year. Uh, but I don't know how good of a team that actually is. Devin Booker is so vital to this team at this point even more than he's ever been before because if you look at that lineup, and I had the same lineup written down, Rubio, Mikhail, Ubre, Saric, Aiton, that's not a good lineup offensively. It's just not. There's not a lot of spacing, and there's very little shot creation in that lineup. You have to rely on very, very good coaching to get the most out of that, and there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. I think this is one of the reasons Devin Booker realizes this, I think, and, and, and James Jones talked about it. We talked about it on our previous episodes. It's on them. The onus is on them at this point. He's not playing at Team USA. Part of the reason people say is that he chose to not play for Team USA. 
to stay healthy and to focus on the upcoming season. I think he's aware of how important he is offensively to this team. And it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that level of pressure. I'm actually really excited to see it because we've all wanted to see him with the real team around him. And, and this is where we see it. And I think, yes, you're right, Sam. They're better suited, but not well suited. It's just not, he's vital. He's just, he's the blood, the lifeblood of this team. And it's more than ever before because there's actual pressure now. You know, there was an assumed loss in every game previously. It's not going to be that anymore. I also think that if he does get injured, Cameron Johnson and how NBA ready he is is going to be very important for this team. And I think there's a possibility that if he really is NBA ready as a 23-year-old should be, he's going to play a lot of minutes if Devin Booker goes down because of how little uh, shooting there's going to be. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that doesn't need the ball a lot and he can play off ball. And uh, I think that's that's the type of role where all of a sudden he's going to be shoved into playing a lot more minutes like we've seen in the previous few Suns seasons towards the end of every season. I really hope that he focuses on being as healthy as possible coming into this year and getting his body right because I do not want to see another season where he gets injured. Nor do I. Another call? Sure. I like the calls. We haven't used the uh, hot take hotline in a while. What should the Suns do regarding Jeff Bauer? Does he need to be there this full time, or does he need to move on now that we've uh, restructured the roster? Who is he, anyways? So, I like the targeted the fact, attack. I like the fact that this caller didn't give their name, which some of the other callers did, which leads me to believe that this is Trevor Buckstein <laughs> subtly calling to try to figure out how to get rid of Jeff Bauer so that he can once again move up in the hierarchy of the Suns front office. <laughs> uh, that's a weird question. Okay, a couple of things on Jeff Bauer, actually, that I think are interesting. Um, some of the major decisions that were made this offseason, I think, could be traced back to him. Now, ultimately, the major decisions fall on the person that's in charge, which is James Jones, but Bauer worked with Monty Williams in the past, and there's that famous story of Bauer being connected to Cameron Johnson. It's probably pretty important to Jeff Bauer that those two things work out <laughs> because it's the longest contract the Suns have had under Robert Sarver for a coach. And there was some other players that were available at 11 or at six that would have been, that could be pretty good players going forward. Uh, so, you know, there's no reason to get rid of Jeff Bauer now. I think it's important to have a guy that's been in the NBA a long time that has the connections that he has. And there's no reason to think that he's doing anything wrong at this point. But I think if those two moves specifically don't work out, first of all, that would be a huge disaster, especially with Monty. Uh, but outside of that, even with just Cam Johnson, I think the blame, it's going to be pointed up at Jeff Bauer if that one specifically doesn't work out. At least by me, it will be. <laughs> yeah, well, with no inside information as to, like, we can obviously trace back moves to to Bauer based on the connections that he's had in the past. Same with James Jones, but... What's particularly difficult about this front office is trying to figure out who was behind the Ricky Rubio signing or who, when there was no connection in the past, right. you know, to any of those guys or who was behind the Frank Kaminsky signing. You know, as we progress forward, where are we crediting? You know, where does the credit go? Does it go to James Jones for some signings? Does it go to Jeff Bauer? Does it go to Buckstein? Uh, we don't really know who's in charge, although obviously James Jones is the acting general manager and he's the guy that we're going to talk about on this podcast most often now 
yeah, to answer your question, I, I don't think we don't know exactly who Jeff Bauer is or, or how much final say he has in any of these moves. Um, but I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. All right. Jay Hottie from Reddit, H-A-D-Y. He said, what has the journey of starting a podcast been like for you guys? Were there <laughs> any road bumps or times when you thought it would fail? Uh, what were some of the pleasant surprises? Who was your favorite guest that you had on so far? If you could interview anyone, who would it be and any plans for the future? So this is more of a talk about yourself question. Um, I'll start here. So uh, journey for me, um, it's been really fun. I've had a really great time. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I think we've met a lot of interesting people. Sam and I really never knew each other as well. So I appreciate that. I feel like I have a friend in Sam now. So that's been nice for us as well. Um, I don't think that I've ever thought it would fail because I've never really had a benchmark for success. Um like Sam and I, we do ads on this podcast, but really, you know, the ads are split based on how many people listen to the podcast. So we've made about $25 a month that we split between each other. <laughs> so it's not like we're coming out ahead here. It's just an honest thing here. We're not making a ton of money here. There's no benchmark for success. We're not trying to rule the world here. We just wanted to really provide something that in my mind, what I wanted when I started was let's start a podcast that represented Suns fans as much as we possibly could. And that meant the highs, that meant the lows, that meant sometimes being unrealistic. That means laughing because I think if you don't have a sense of humor about this team, it's hard to be a fan of it. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I thought about it. Pleasant surprises for me. Uh, K. Ray coming on. That was really cool. Um, Rashawn Holmes's mom. That's probably my favorite um, guest. And for me, who I would want to interview more than anyone else, uh, it's got to be Steve Nash. You just got to have Steve Nash on. That would just be so cool. Um, in the future, for me, I would like to continue building our YouTube presence. I think that's been a different market for us, and I think things have opened up for us in interesting ways that, that I didn't know existed. There's a lot of people there that really aren't anywhere else socially, and that's been an interesting um, side of this podcast for us so far. So what do you think, Sam? Steve Nash has no reason to do our podcast, but how <laughs> how cool would that be? I just want to get a player of some sort, former or present, um, past or present, I guess is the proper way to say that, uh, would be so cool. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I never really thought this would fail. Um, you know, to be completely open, uh, just so you guys know, we edit these podcasts, but Mike is the one who does all of the editing. So he puts more work into it than me. Um, so, you know, anytime that you're the one that's, you know, putting less work into it. I mean, you're, you're basically blessed with that situation right there. Like <laughs> Mike has been a, a fantastic partner for me to have all the way through. And, and I've never really, again, never really had a benchmark for success. You know, just having anyone listen at all is really cool for us. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely very happy with, with what we've done in the past year. Some of my favorite guests, Tim last week, uh, you know, as a stat nerd myself, he was awesome. Kyle Mann, who you guys might know, especially our YouTube audience, as uh, the Dime Drop, working for The Ringer now. Uh, incredibly funny guy, uh, great guy to have on. Um, all sorts of guys who worked with the broadcast team. So Kevin Ray obviously was amazing, but John Bloom as well um, on the radio side of things was really cool. John Wasserman stopped by from Bleacher Report uh, just before the draft to talk to us about the draft, and that was amazing. And, and obviously I'm forgetting some people. Uh, as well. We've had many guests on at this point, but it's just been uh, amazing to talk to all these people that otherwise I never would have had the opportunity to talk to and ask some questions. So it's been a really cool journey. Summertime is pool time. All pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe. Testing your pool water is easy, but figuring out what to put into it can be a pain. Sutro has solved that problem. Sutro's free pool 
chemical calculator takes the hassle out of treating your pool. Their simple text-based interface allows you to test, text, and then treat your pool. Go to mysutro.com slash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. If you own a pool or you have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's the simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of pool work with Sutro. Sign up for free at mysutro.com slash bluewire. Look at the world's tech leaders and high-growth startup CEOs. I bet you wonder how in the world they have that kind of inexhaustible energy to do what they do. The answer will surprise you. The latest trend with the top tech leaders is sleep optimization. While most Americans are not getting the sleep they need, tech founders and CEOs are optimizing their sleep to perform at peak level every day. The first step, the pod by 8sleep, the ultimate sleep machine. The pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Are you looking to sleep deeper? The pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Do you want to know your sleep intel? The pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Do you want to sleep better? We all want to sleep better. Enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you towards true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash bluewire. They already sold out of the first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash bluewire. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash bluewire. Let's do another question from Twitter. Squat. This one's from Squats Magoo, who is also on the podcast. Uh, Brendan, uh, he said, could TJ Warren be an all-star next year and make us look even worse or is there no chance? Um, I tend to think there's no chance of that, but who knows? What do you think? It's the East, so there is a chance. Um, Chris Middleton averaged... Yeah, he, he'd have to stay healthy. Chris Middleton averaged 18-6-4 and four and made the All-Star game. So I think... Right. Here's the thing. Uh, and, and TJ, you know, to compare to that, TJ averaged like 18-4. and four. He doesn't pass, so he doesn't get the four assists. But mostly, I think, being right. on a winning team does crazy things on the national level to our perception of certain players. Uh, and for TJ, Indiana is a team that I really like what they did this offseason. They added, if you guys go back and listen, well, you don't really have any reason to do this, but if you <laughs> theoretically went back and listened to our free agency episode, um, right. you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Jeremy Lamb both went to Indiana. Those were two of my favorite targets for the Suns this summer. And they got both of them. Plus they added TJ. Oladipo's coming back. Right. Miles Turner is dope. Sabonis is dope. Uh, they'll definitely have uh, a good team for sure. Uh, so I just I don't know. I just think Indiana, if they can be near the top of the Eastern Conference again, and TJ averages 18 points per game and shoots well in the Eastern Conference, you never fucking know. He definitely has a chance. The reason I think it's not likely is Oladipo's a guaranteed All Star if he stays healthy, and that's what they need for them to be good. So then we're talking about who's going to be the second All Star from that team. And to me, it's a very unlikely scenario where TJ Warren is the second most important player for a playoff team. Uh, you know, I think Miles Turner, just with his defense alone, could more likely be that guy. And I know that 
all-star appearances are a lot based on the amount that you score. But I think more and more uh, people, voters are getting more into the idea of advanced stats and analytics that point to massive impacts. And TJ Warren's never really been a guy that had massive impacts on those levels. So you're right. I think there is a possibility, but I think it's just very unlikely that he's the second all-star from the Indiana team uh, unless they really just can't fill it out. Or there's injuries. I think injuries make a big difference too. Yeah, that's how our boy Goron made the all-star team finally. Um, but I, just to finish this off, I definitely agree with you. TJ is not a positive impact player really from an advanced level, at least not so far in his career. I was just sort of saying if the guy averages 20 points, people like guys that average 20 points, whether they're really advanced impact guys or not. Um, this one's from Reddit. Ivanka's future husband is his name. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Hmm. No. What do you... No? I don't know why. I don't know. I haven't thought about this one. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of banking on you having a strong opinion for this one because I've heard this a lot and I don't really care. It's a sandwich. (laughs) I think whether or not cereal with milk is soup is a more compelling conversation. (laughs) Uh, I feel like... Have we answered this question before? Maybe we haven't. Um, I think it is a sandwich, but I would never go somewhere and say, hey, give me one one of those hot dog sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just like you know, like, a, like a cheeseburger is a sandwich too technically but it's not like you know all it is is a qualification uh at that point that's that's the only way i'd say it that way it's like you know technically james harden is a shooting guard but also he's a point guard too so it's, it's like that he you know it's the james harden of sandwiches what <laughs> let's move on uh, all right stupid <laughs> question, question stupid from- answer move on <laughs> Another question from Twitter. Max Hotter uh, said, what is the best stat line you could possibly see from Aiton this upcoming season, as in his ceiling for the season? Additionally, if he has a similar season with a low free throw rate and block shot numbers, is he now a bust, like some Suns fans are saying? No, I want to say, first of all, no to that. I think that that would be bad for his overall development, but I think if you call any player that had the rookie season that he had a bust, even after his second season, you're, you're jumping into that too early. I think the question about what his stat line could be is an interesting question uh, because we've talked about Rubio a lot. Some people have said the problem with Ricky Rubio, a lot of people who don't follow the Suns say the problem with Ricky Rubio is he's not the perfect fit for Devin Booker. What they never say is how well he fits with DeAndre Ayton. I think the weird part about it is how little DeAndre Ayton is thought about when uh, analyzing the offseason by people who are not Suns-focused. And I think... He's the least talked about number one pick of all time. Yeah, I think I I agree with that. Um, Maybe outside of Anthony Bennett, but even Anthony Bennett is interesting just because of how bad he was. So (laughs) you can talk about him from that perspective at least. With Ayton, though... The impact that Rubio is going to have on him could be pretty massive. And I think that it's likely that you could see him jump up in points relatively significantly. Now, he, like, if he's close to 20 points, it would not surprise me. If he's at 21 points, I think that's like the ceiling. I, 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 w- I would be surprised if he was going to average 22, 23, 24 points and be at like all star level scoring. And, you know, depending on his role, it's really hard. Like, we talked about Monty being such an unknown. It's unlikely. So what I put as the ceiling is like 21, 11, you know, two assists, maybe three if they really <laughs> run the offense through him. <laughs> and then like maybe one, maybe 1.5 blocks. I think that's the hardest part to, to really know because I just don't know what his development is going to be like. 
um, on the defensive end. What do you think? You put the ceiling at 21, 11, and 2? <laughs> yeah. Because I put I think, the ceiling. I'm trying to be I realistic. Put, I put the ceiling at 22, 12, and 3. Uh, so okay. <laughs> it basically yeah. just everything plus 1. Um, and, right. and yeah, I think, I think that's basically where it is. He's still going to be a second option scorer. Uh, but, you know, I think the big thing is how can DA maintain his efficiency? Because I think the most unprecedented thing about him last summer, uh, sorry, last season was he was a 60% true shooting guy, which is insane for a rookie big. Uh, how can he increase volume and maintain that efficiency? And it's all about adding tools to his arsenal adding moves to get to the free throw line uh, and also start to shoot threes but shoot them you know basically only when he's wide open and not make that too much uh a part of his game basically what i think we're going to see from uh Aiden next year is just a much more well-rounded offensive game i'm excited to see it i don't fully know if he's going to be quite as efficient but i think he can remain pretty close yeah i think it's possible too and it just depends on how much they let him really shoot outside and maybe they won't have to force him to do that, but we'll see. Uh, you know, Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio in that starting lineup, he might have to leave some room at the rim for those guys to drive because they're not much of uh, outside shooters. Let's answer this one quickly because this is Thick Boy 7 again <laughs> on Reddit. And he said, What has been James Jones's best move and worst move thus far? I have a feeling that we have the same ones for the best move, maybe not worst. But uh, it's got to be the Ariza Ubre trade, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You want me to throw out a stat yeah. for it? Sure. To demonstrate it. So, advanced stats. What a surprise! I like advanced stats and and models that you know project your future and shit. So, five thirty eight's Carmelo projections uh, for Trevor Ariza. Five thirty eight projects Trevor Ariza for the next five years to contribute a total market value of negative one point seven million dollars. It lists him as quote a scrub. Kelly Oubre <laughs> it gives a five year market value of forty seven and a half million dollars and is listed as a solid rotation player. Uh, so that's just a sort of monetary look at at least what one statistical model thinks the future is going to look like for Trevor Ariza. Uh, and Kelly Oubre, obviously there's a massive difference there between those two players, and the Suns did it for a straight swap, which I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. Um, the other one for the worst move, uh, for me, I did not mind the TJ Warren trade that much. I think it's difficult to get rid of a guy before free agency to clear cap space, so I didn't mind that one. I also, on the record, not a huge person to be against that Josh Jackson move. I don't really mind not waving him preserving cap space makes sense to me going forward and those second round picks are not they're valuable but they're, i'm not gonna sweat too much over that so for me i think the Melton worst one hater. would be picking cam <laughs> the worst one for me would be picking <laughs> cam johnson because and this is to say that he's an unknown and we know that brandon clark is going to be a good nba player and i think it's an interesting comparison for cam johnson and brandon clark brandon clark went in the 20s the early 20s cam johnson projected in the early 20s both of these guys older players who are supposed to be nba ready right away and we've seen brandon clark so it's it's a little unfair to judge us this early but i liked brandon clark you know we talked about it before on this podcast i liked him so for me that was the worst one because you made that trade i like that trade for sarge i think it was smart to move back in that draft when nobody's guaranteed after that first three picks basically and i just think cam johnson he's such an unknown and and you know 
it's just a really tough look for that one. He's really got to work out to, to make that trade look good. And at this point, uh, we just don't know. So I'd have to put that one there. What do you think? Honor, honorable mention not bringing back Rashawn Holmes as worst move. Low-key, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I probably have to agree with you. And it, it's I get, guys, that it's not fair to Cam Johnson, who hasn't played a game yet. Um, but for all the reasons you just mentioned, Mike, I would have to agree. That's probably the worst one so far. All right. This one is from John Yee, John Yeeha on Twitter. Uh, he said, John from Phoenix here, first time, long time. Shout out to John. Aiton's had a curiously quiet offseason, no media interviews, no offseason workout videos, no comments on the team's draft or FA pickups. Is this a good sign or a bad sign? Did you notice this, Sam? Uh, yeah, I did. I think it's a great sign. You do? Interesting. I noticed well, I, it. I, I don't really care either way, <laughs> to be honest, but I noticed it. I did notice it as well. What do you think? Well, I just, I don't know. I just have massive respect, not even basketball, but, uh, and I say this as someone who has gotten ridiculously addicted to Twitter, specifically because of basketball over the past year. I have massive respect for anyone who just kicks social media for a while, you know, quits a cold turkey. Uh, and I don't know right. that that's necessarily what Aiton is doing here, but I... We obsess a little bit too much over what these guys are doing with their social media profiles, especially when uh, none of this stuff even existed 10 or 15 years ago. You know, no one gave a shit what Dan Marley or or Kevin Johnson were saying in the early 90s (laughs) about, you know, what moves the Suns were making during the summer. It just wasn't a thing, you know, and I wasn't even alive. I understand that. But like I can tell you definitively it wasn't a thing. Same thing during the Steve Nash era. Uh, If you want an example, I was alive for definitely wasn't a thing that people were asking uh you know nash about the sun's moves during the to to just continuously comment on it like that like players do these days so you know it's great that kelly Oubre is active on twitter and instagram and we can you know throw out his hashtags and and feel like we're connected to him and uh be a part of that but for ayton to you know choose not to participate in that who really gives a shit yeah i don't i don't really care i don't consider it a good sign or a bad sign i just consider it just who he is it seems like his his social media posts are mostly promotional, which I think from a business move is fine. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. I think that's an interesting way to use your social media. Just make some money off of it, especially if you don't really give a shit what's posted there. So I don't care. Um, from Reddit, A. Jenkins, A.Y. Jenkins. He said, and I like this question, what is the best team of current non-All-Star players that have never made the All-Star team that you could put around Booker, and what is that team's ceiling I like these hypothetical ones every once in a while because, uh, you know, the first thing you do is look up lists of players that have never made an all-star team that are still in the NBA to make sure you're not missing anyone. And basically, I put Conley, Mike Conley, Pascal Siakam, Drew Holiday, and Rudy Gobert around Devin Booker, and that's that's a playoff team. Gobert hasn't made the playoffs? I mean, what am I saying? You, I got confused because you just said playoffs. Gobert hasn't made an (laughs) all-star team? No, I don't know. I forgot that. I use Steven Adams. I use Steven oh, Adams. I mean, Adams is good too, but... No, I'm easily changing that to Gobert. Let me look it up right now. Was the rest of your team the same? No, I forgot about Siakam too. God, you had a better list than I did. I used Aaron Gordon. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so I had Think about Aaron that Gordon. defense. Which defense? Siakam and Gobert? Conley, Siakam, and Conley um, and Holiday, Holiday and Gobert. Wait, yeah. who's playing small forward? Drew Holiday? Yeah, Drew Holiday. <laughs> you know. How about it's this? Not You're perfect, not gonna like but... this. You're not gonna like this. Okay. Luca. <laughs> That's what, I had that as one of my honorable mentions as well. I think he deserves um, it at just, this point. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. 
He was really good. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought you'd get more offended. <laughs> Sorry. So I had no. I had uh, Booker I, CJ. I like, Luca. I like Luca. I had Booker CJ and Luca as my three-headed dragon guard attack of three guys like who that. can handle the ball. Uh, and and it doesn't really defense, matter. I guess. I don't care about defense. I care about score. Actually, I do care about defense. That's why I'm using Siakam at the four and uh, Gobert at the five. Originally, I had Gordon go. and okay. Steven Adams, but that's basically the same thing. So interior defense, team. interior defense and perimeter playmaking. And I think it would be a good team. What's the ceiling? Yeah. Uh, I think a championship. Same with mine. <laughs> I think you could win a championship with Mike Conley, Devin Booker, Pascal Siakam, Drew Holiday and Gobert. As your starting five, that defense is insane. And Siakam, Conley, Drew Holiday, and Devin Booker are still good offensive players. And I think what I learned more than anything looking up these players that did not make the All Star team is how little defense is valued, or, or at least it has been in the past. Because like it's it's pretty insane that Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert have never been All Stars. And I understand that the West is packed and it's difficult to make the team here, but that's pretty crazy. All right, let's do another one from Twitter. Let's see how many more we're going to get through. We might have to pick up the pace here. Um, what would have? This is from Juan Morales. He said, "What would have been this? What would have been if the Suns? Okay, what would have happened? I think I'm just going to rephrase. His, I'm just going to rephrase his question. What if, what would have happened if the Suns had fired Igor Kokoshkov after the Miami game that the Suns infamously won? And would we have been in a worse position? Basically, um, would we have not hired Monty Williams? I did not." I didn't look this up, and maybe I could have, but I did not remember the game he was talking about, that Miami game. Do you remember that game? Uh, there was some sort of ultimatum given. To, or there were rumors okay. spread by now Gambo and company right. that right. Yeah, Igor was that. in serious danger. Uh, to what extent that was true, I don't know. I think that would have been pretty bad. <laughs> had that yeah, that would have been, it it would have been really bad. pretty incompetent. Regardless yeah. of how you guys feel about Igor now, uh, they needed to stick the season out. You can't just hire a brand new coach and fire him in, in three months. You cannot do that. You know, I, I think it's amazing that they even got Monty Williams with what their credibility was at the start of the summer. I agree. Um, let's try and rapid fire some of these. Let's see how fast we can answer some of these questions. Um, this is from uh, Yeah Hey Mate on Reddit. He said, who do you guys think will start between Kelly and Mikhail? If it's different, who do you think fits better? Also, do you see us having a flexible starting five that changes to best suit the matchups each game rather than a set five? I don't think that. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna get a set starting five and roll with it as much as possible. If this team were to make the playoffs, which is funny to say out loud, then maybe you change things based on matchups. But I don't think that's something they want to do with a young team. They got to build chemistry, and that means keeping the same starting five for as many games as possible. I don't. I think that it's more likely Kelly Oubre starts if it's only one of them. But I think both of them. It's still a possibility that both of them start. Um, what do you think, Sam? Yep, agreed. Kelly will start, but Mikhail's a better fit in my mind. All right, let's move on. This is from I Am a Dragon from Reddit. He said, is it concerning or exciting? He's got three questions here, so let's fire through them here. Is it concerning or exciting that the new regime values production and clear NBA-level developed skills much more than the potential? So potential, basically valuing production over potential. Um, and then he had some other questions that I found interesting. Let's focus on that one first. Uh, I think it's fine. I think this rebuild, this specific offseason was clearly culture focused. I think they were trying to find players that could compete right away and they were trying to get rid of all distractions as quickly as possible. 
I've described it on Twitter as tearing a Band-Aid off, which, which hurts sometimes. And if they continue to build it the way that they are, I think it's a little dangerous. But I think this offseason, I think it's okay to do this, especially when the number one problem for this team is culture going forward, in my opinion. What do you think about that? So I think, and there have been some questions about this, so maybe we'll get to these as well. The Suns' asset management was subpar this summer, but they did get a lot better. Uh, So concerning or exciting, I would kind of say neither. I think both are acceptable strategies. Uh, I really think it's fine that the Suns are valuing production because they are banking on uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton just being high-level stars at this point, which is fine. Uh, If this were 2013 and the Suns had just gone into that first uh, year of the McDonough era where they had literally nothing to bank on and you were drafting 23-year-old players and not trying to swing for the fences and build your team around superstars first, uh, then that would be disastrous. But what they're doing here, they're hoping that Devin Booker and Aiton can actually pan out to be star number A and star number or star number one and star number two uh, and surround them with role players. I think that's that's fine. Yeah, and his second question was, are first-round picks overrated in value now that there are so many tanking teams and the lottery is pure luck? Um, what I think he actually meant by this question is, are first-round picks, are the value of first-round picks inflated now? I don't think they're overrated, but I think at this point, and maybe you'll agree with me, Sam, trading a lottery pick is actually kind of stupid because the way that the odds have flattened out so much and how we saw teams jump pretty dramatically this last year could happen any year going forward with the Lakers and the Pelicans and the Pelicans jumping all the way to first trading a lottery pick is not very likely I think for a lot of teams that are going to be in the lottery I think they're going to value those more than ever before and if they do trade them it's got to be a really smart trade outside of that we saw a lot of first round picks move this last offseason you know for uh, either Anthony Davis or for Paul George. So it seems like outside of the lottery, they're they're expendable, um, I would say. But have you thought about this and the way lottery picks are now valued, Sam? Yeah, so teams at the top of the lottery, that is to say, you know, picks number one through five traditionally, obviously get shafted by the new odds, but it's sort of just shifted towards the middle where you're really benefiting if you're towards the late lottery. First round picks are absolutely not overrated. Uh, it just sucked to be in the position that the Suns were in. And if you think about it, there's three ways and there will always be three ways to build a team. You've got free agency, you've got trades, and you've got draft picks. Trades are always really hard to pull off for anyone. Uh, and free agency remains the same as it's always been. Where did the top free agents go this summer? They went to L.A., uh, they went to Brooklyn, slash New York, but really they went to Brooklyn, the top ones. They went to teams like Boston. They're not coming to places like Phoenix, you know, except for Ricky Rubio. But you know what I mean? Kevin Durant can come to Phoenix. Uh, top stars didn't come to Phoenix for a reason, even if we could have created the cap space for them. So uh, draft picks remain important. That's the name of the game if you're a small to mid-sized market. Yeah, and if you do trade a lottery pick, it's got to be for a really good player because the value of a lottery pick is so high, especially if you trade it before the end of the season, like before the actual lottery. You don't know where that pick's going to be. In fact, I haven't even thought about this, but maybe this will shift when trades happen to after the lottery and make it more likely that uh, less stuff happens at the beginning of the year for the teams that are in the lottery or in the middle of the year at the trade deadline and makes it more likely that if they are making moves, they wait until after the lottery to make those. Just something to think about there. He also said, either Diallo or Kaminsky takes a big leap next year. Who would you be more excited about and who would fit the team best if he ended up here long term? My first thought was Diallo just because of the athleticism that makes the ceiling higher generally. Um, But if Kaminsky learned how to play defense, that would be fun too. What do you think, Sam? 
Kaminsky because he can shoot. Yep, that's a good but, one too. Maybe part of the, uh, the Diallo leap would be shooting. <laughs> that's true. Maybe it would be. I mean, if Diallo learns how to shoot, I'm all for it, man. Ridiculous Cage on Reddit said, this is an interesting question. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about here. I didn't even make any notes. What have you learned most about Suns and NBA fans throughout the years? Uh, he mentioned that we've been the moderator for the Suns subreddit for years um, and that we're frequent posters on our NBA and, of course, our tweets and podcasts. He wants to know if we have a better appreciation of fans as we become more engaged with them. And then he also asked if we had any memorable stories from uh, either the Reddit or any memorable stories in general, I think, about Suns fans. Um I think it's really awesome, and I tweeted about this, that Suns fans still love this team so much because there's a lot of reasons that they could have given up on this team. And I think it's a testament to Devin Booker and his personality as well that there's still so many people that are dedicated to this team and follow this team so closely. Um, Suns fans are pretty great. I think it's fun that we have a sense of humor about our own team. I think that's vital, as I talked about earlier in this podcast to laugh at ourselves and to laugh at the team and the situation that it's put us in to argue about Zach Levine on the internet on a Tuesday morning or whatever it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, you know, that's as far as, as any stories from, from Reddit, I'm not sure. Sam, do you have any stories that you would like to bring up? Not positive ones. Are we talking about, well, I love Reddit. I love our sons and I love what we do there. Me too. Um, but I thought Me he too. was referring to, you know, when we need to step in and moderate the community, the types of comments right. that we're removing that people don't see, th- are, those are not positive stories for the most part. One particular yeah. user who we had to ban yeah. about, you know, 500 times in the span of a month because he kept creating new accounts uh, comes to mind. That was a few years ago. Yeah. You don't want to say his name, do you? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm it's more like I'm afraid if I say his name, he'll be summoned again. Uh, yeah. It's so, like Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. You know, actually, actually um, picture yeah, I him say to look like that. You guys who, you know, obviously aren't moderators on the Suns Reddit, you're not really missing out on anything. The only things we remove are the things that are openly uh, just harassment or racist or, you know, otherwise derogatory in some way. That's all you're missing. Yeah. What I've learned about Suns fans throughout the year to get to the first part of the question is uh, that Suns fans are really passionate not only in the state of Arizona but it's amazed me just how much of a national and international presence the Suns have uh, and that's really a right. leftover from two things the 90s and the 2000s uh, just a reminder of how awesome I mean overall the Suns have had a, a fantastic history you know as one of the most winningest franchises of all time but particularly that era of about 20 years from you know say 1989 to 2009 2010 or so really built up multiple generations of Suns fans around the world. Uh, and we get so many people interacting with us online who are from different countries. Maybe even English isn't their first language. I think that's amazing. Um, and yeah, that's really cool. You know, I'm not from Phoenix myself. I'm from New York uh, and I've been a Suns fan ever since I was a little kid. I certainly didn't want to be a Knicks fan. Uh, and that's all thanks to Steve Nash. I know a lot of other people actually from the same place I am. Uh, that surprisingly feel the same way. Yeah, shout out to Australia. There's a lot of Suns fans in Australia for some reason. That's really cool. Um, And speaking of fans from all over the place, Julio Vincent Omnia said, uh, he doesn't have a question. He loves the podcast. Shout out to Julio. Um, He said he would love a shout out to any Valley Boys in Denver. He needs local buddies. So if you are a Suns fan in Denver and you're listening to this podcast, find Julio on Reddit 
and uh, <laughs> find it on our on our thread. Find make friends. Out where go, he lives. go go watch games. Find where he lives. Stand outside of his bedroom. All- stare into his window. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's. I think we have a few that we could fire through kind of quickly. Uh, okay. DC Covey said he loves a podcast. Thank you, DC. Uh, would we take the over under on the Vegas odds? Most of them are twenty six and a half or twenty seven and a half. I'd say over. Over. We've been saying this so much. Over. Yep. Take the over. I think thirty wins. Thirty wins is what we should be thinking is a realistic possibility, and over that is if things click. And I think that's. I think over thirty is even possible too. And if it was at thirty, I might still take the over. It'd be a lot harder, but I might still take it. Um, Glowworms said, "Which of our rookies?" Who will actually get minutes between Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson? Do you suspect will have a better season? Um, that's an interesting question. I think Ty Jerome. We don't really have a backup point guard. If we and if we don't, if we do have a backup point guard, we don't have a backup shooting guard basically because it's Wait. Tyler Johnson. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, 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 I expect Elia Kobo will be gone. Um, so I, I think Ty Jerome will be the main primary creator in that backup lineup, depending on how. Uh, things are staggered so I think Ty Jerome will get more of a chance Cam Johnson I think could be a good player right away just with his main NBA skill but he's also behind Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre who are important pieces of this team going forward so I would say Ty Jerome but I think either of them it's I'm not like fully confident in that agreed I think it's a toss-up and it's really unfortunately uh probably going to come down to injuries you know whoever gets injured first (laughs) yeah I agree with that um so i was already laughing at this next question um on fire with a ph from reddit said (laughs) would you give up a body part for the suns to win a championship if so what would it be pinky toe penis and i think he said this question because i don't know if you saw this sam the coach of the tennessee titans mike vrabel said he would cut his penis off for a super bowl win (laughs) this is an adult man who said he would cut his penis off for a win. And it was funny because what he said is uh, he won't need it because he's been married 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, I wouldn't I, cut off. I'm sorry. I wouldn't cut off anything. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a no for me too. Sorry, dog. Nope, sorry. Nope. I don't think, you know, I, if I was given well, that opportunity, I'd, I'd say, well, you're thinking of your pinky toe, aren't you? <laughs> no, I mean, there's stuff you can live without. Not my pinky toe. <laughs> like you, you let him like take your appendix out. <laughs> take a kidney. <laughs> yeah, take my appendix. <laughs> they can have my uh, wisdom okay. teeth. Um, the the remaining wisdom teeth I still have. They can have those. <laughs> there That's you like go. harmless. Tizdu, he's a friend of ours. Let's answer his question. He said, "What's been your favorite movie this year?" Um, oh, that's a cool one. You go first, Sam. What's your What's so, been your favorite movie? Uh, this year? I barely watched anything this year in theaters because. I don't know. I'm not like always at the top, top of the curve with movies. I do like to see a lot of, um, you know, not just the, the obvious Hollywood blockbusters, but uh, I had it written down somewhere here. Oh, okay. Um, I saw Midsommar just last weekend though. Like I said, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of movies this year, but uh, I am a horror guy. Um, and I thought that was really good. I was a huge fan of hereditary, uh, probably even more so than this most recent one. Last year, uh, there's some stuff I'm looking forward to. I don't know, coming up sometime in the next several months, I'll probably see the new Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's coming out this weekend. Uh, I am tentatively excited for the Joker movie with uh, 
Joaquin Phoenix yeah. that's coming out later this year. I feel like that could be garbage, but it could be really good. Um, again, I'm a Looks horror cool. guy. Uh, so Robert Eggers' new movie, The Lighthouse, uh, with Willem Dafoe. And I think Robert Pattinson is going to come out sometime late this year. I think that could be really cool, uh, having like old-timey feel to it. So I don't know. That's some stuff I'm looking forward to. Um, but no obvious answer. I mean, like the beginning of the year is also always kind of garbage for movies. You know, I, I like Oscar bait. I'm one of those people that will tune into all the kind of Oscar baity movies that will come out, uh, you know, those dramas in like October, November, December, and, and really sort of get into that whole season. So obviously we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. For me, it was hard to think of movies that I saw this year. I do watch, I watch a lot of movies, so it's a different problem for me. Um, you know, my girlfriend and I, no kids, so we do do see a lot of movies. It's cheaper for us than people with families. But uh, Us, I really liked Us when I saw that in February. Um, I saw that one in theaters. Other movies, I looked this up because I wasn't sure when it was released, but The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix is oh, yeah. fucking awesome. That was That's last such year, a right? great movie. And it was, it was November, so I looked it up. It was right before the end of the year. I, didn't, I don't think I watched it until the beginning of the year. doesn't matter. That's been a movie that I've watched more than once, and it's so fun and so good and so interesting and weird, and it's a bunch of short stories. If you've never seen it, it's really great. I also really liked Velvet Buzzsaw for different reasons on Netflix because it's such a weird, it's such a weird movie. And I last year, for some reason, I went on this kick of watching old Final Destination movies, and they're awful, but they're funny. And I think what's fun about the Final Destination movies is that they take pleasure in killing people, and they find all these weird and hilarious ways to kill people. And Velvet Buzzsaw is essentially a Final Destination movie, but art kills you. So I had a really good time watching that, and um, yeah, I enjoyed it. And the last one I wanted to bring up was John Wick 3, because it was amazing beginning to end, and Boban was in it. So like, like Boban was like one of the first people you see in the movie, too, so I really, really enjoyed John Wick 3. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of movies I'm missing, because I watched so many of them, but those are the ones that first came to mind for me. And now that people aren't listening anymore, we should probably end this podcast. (laughs) Wait, we didn't get to the the Alex Len Nerland's Noel fusion question. (laughs) Okay, Okay, just we'll do that one. Just a couple more. Okay, let's do. Okay, the Alex Len. This is from Alex Len Nerland's Noel (laughs) from Reddit. He said, "Is the fusion of Alex Len and Nerland's Noel better than Dario Saric?" I looked up the stats, and this is for you, Sam. They're VORP. Uh, Len's career high VORP was 1, N- Nerland's Noel was 1.6, and Dario Saric was 2. Now, if you combined Nerland's Noel and Alex Len, you're not, there's so many overlapping skills, it's not just going to automatically get their VORP to 2.6. So I say Saric is better than a fusion of Alex Len and Nerland's Noel. What do you think? See, you actually took the me approach and looked at it statistically. I didn't even take yeah. the me approach because what I was thinking is what if you took all of the limbs of those two players together and put them on one human body <laughs> and you would get okay. essentially coordination, <laughs> no co- even worse coordination than Alex Len already had. Uh, but but something about that defense, kind of like a human spider, uh, that that was tempting to me. <laughs> I'm tempted to say like with Darius Alex Len's height, yeah. but Nerland's Noel's length. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> Dario Saric is better. Um, I think that's a good place to end it. That's a fun question. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I know this is another long podcast. Our mailbags always are. This might actually be the shortest mailbag question, or podcast that we've done so far. Sorry to anyone that we didn't get to your questions. We didn't want to bombard you with a two-hour-long podcast this week. So 
Um, of course, we'll try and answer some of them. Maybe we'll jump in the Reddit thread and try and answer some of the Reddit ones we didn't answer there. Uh, thanks once again to everyone who gave us questions. You guys did a great job basically deciding what we're going to talk about um, this week. And we'll be back next week. Who knows what we're going to talk about? This is a weird time of the year. We're going to have to start brainstorming, Sam. <laughs> If you guys have suggestions, let us know, because we definitely don't have any clue. August sucks. <laughs> wow, we're not even in August yet. I just looked at the calendar and realized next week is still going to be a July episode. We've got yeah, so, please. so long to go until training camp. <laughs> Hold on to your hats. Thick boy. Thick boy. Thick boy. Thick boy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.